but some of you will be really, really glad. We're almost getting to the end, I think, of uh, what kind of follower. And um, I have to, uh, I have to apologise if uh, if you've been looking at my face and, and you thought, "Hey, get away from this! I'll go to a small group." And there I am, right in front of the screen, uh, as well. And you felt, "How did I get away uh, from this person?" Well, I have to say, there is no way. So um, get used to it. Uh, I'm just really kidding. Um, I want to speak this morning about something I think that lots of us know about, but not many of us uh, talk about, and it is the the sense that sometimes we start to fall away from Jesus. Sometimes, you know, we're we're in that place where where we think, you know, we can take anything, we can do anything. Um, we know the passion of Jesus. We're kind of we actually want to get out in the hills so we can say to mountains, move, and 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 stand and watch them move. That's the sort of level of faith we've got. We think we're going to take the nation, and we're probably going to do it today, and uh, and everything is going to happen. And we're we're going around and we're praying for healing uh, everywhere. Uh, we hear somebody sneeze, we're on them, um, and and we're just kind of praying, and then suddenly. Suddenly we find the passion isn't there anymore. We're starting to go through the routine of stuff. We know how to do the Christian life. We've kind of got it. You know, here's the meetings that you go to. This is what you say. This is how you do. Here's the kind of tick box. We're kind of here. Hey, we're there. We've, we've done it. And bit by bit the passion goes. Or perhaps we go to something and, uh, and we see something and we think, you know, um, this will probably not matter. This, uh, this wee lie here that starts another lie, that starts another lie, and before we know where we are, Jesus is here. We're kind of miles away. But we still do the stuff. Because <laughs> we still know how to do the stuff. Because you can live the religious Christian lifestyle without really being passionate about Christ, can't you? And so nobody else really knows the state of your heart. And I I want to ask you this morning, honestly, and I think there are some people here who have been waiting for for a long time to deal with this. I want to ask you, what is the state of your heart? What have you been waiting on? I think you've been waiting on Jesus. I think you've been waiting on something different to happen, a new opportunity. Today, I want to talk on the theme of restoration. I want to talk about the wonderful, amazing, beautiful, transforming love of Jesus. I want to talk about the fact Jesus never gives up on you, no matter what, no matter how, no matter where, no matter when, Jesus never gives up on you. I want to say to you that perhaps this is your day to allow God to reignite the fire. This is a day when you allow Jesus to draw you close again. For you to know something of his breath upon your face and know the beauty of his goodness. So we move on to restoration. And I want to start away by, I want to tell you what, what I want to do, because that will keep me from wandering too far, uh, maybe. Uh, what, what I want to do is I want to kind of paint the picture of, of Peter and then just 
literally, I want to go verse by verse through this conversation that uh, Peter has with Jesus and explain a little bit about just what grace looks like. In the patience of Jesus. Because the patience of Jesus is one of the most amazing things, isn't that? Um, hands up if you're a really patient person. No, nobody's even admitting to the fact that you might possibly be patient. Uh, I, I'm, I'm particularly known for my lack of patience, particularly around cues. Um, hands up who, if there's more than three people standing in a line, you think life is too short. Yeah, yeah. Is that just mostly a man thing? I say, yeah, it's only men that are putting hands up here. I, 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 have, um, I have unashamedly lots of times picked stuff up in a shop, gone and looked at it and thought, nah, I don't think so. And, and put them back or, I have to be honest here, left them on another shelf altogether because I can't remember where I got them kind of thing. So, um, so if you work in a store, I'm really sorry about that. Um, but I want to talk about the patience of Jesus because Jesus has infinite patience. Jesus' patience goes on and on and on and on. Jesus looks at us, sees us fall, picks us up again. Looks at us, sees us fall, picks it up again. Looks at us, sees us fall, and picks it up again. There is no end to the amount of patience Jesus has with those that he loves and has called to be his people. And I want to say that as an encouragement to you. Because the reason that restoration is in what kind of follower is this. When I, when I went and, and chatted to people right across the country on the back of what kind of church and asked, what are the big problems for you in, in your faith? Why, why, why you stop going to church? Why are you not there where you were? And this is what people said over and over and over again. I don't know how Jesus can keep loving me. I've, I've done this, and I, I just don't think Jesus needs me, could use me, cares about me anymore. Or some would say, you know, I remember when Jesus first came into my life, and, and it was so exciting. What an adventure it felt like. It, it was just fantastic, but not now. Kind of lost it, and, and, and you know, I, I've kind of given up on it, stopped, stopped thinking about it. I, I don't think there's really a way back for me anymore and it was in reflections of this hearing the same story over and over and over again thought the one issue we have to address in the church in the west is restoration we have to address restoration so let me just uh, read a few verses um first of all from luke 22 from um just after the last supper Luke 22 from verse 27. And I'm not going to put these up on the screen. I want you to try and picture yourself in the stories. Or if you've got, um, if you've got one of these old things, you know, one of these hard copy Bible things, then maybe you could open that as well if you want to. But try and, try and picture the story. For who is the greatest, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who is at the table but I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me. So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 
Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison or to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you even know me. Amen. At that point, Peter is in one of these places where he thinks that he has a ministry, he has it together, he has the confidence, he has the courage, he is holding it no matter what. You know, Jesus, it's you and me, no matter what. No matter what comes, no matter the storms, no matter the enemy, no matter what, it's you and me, Jesus. Wherever you go, I'm going. You name the place, I'm there. Really doesn't matter because between you and me, nothing can separate us. Absolutely nothing. I'm fully there. Jesus understands that there's a huge difference in religious life between self-confidence and Christ-confidence. Self-confidence, I've got the gifts. I understand it. I can do it. I've got it together. I'm ready, Lord. Christ's confidence, I can't do it. I have no idea. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how I can cope. You can do it, Lord. You can do it. And Peter, in that place of self-confidence, thinks, doesn't matter what happens, I'm with you. I'm there, no matter what. And Jesus looks at him and says, Satan is already after you, wants to sift you, wants to break you, wants to separate you. I have prayed for you, but you're going to have to understand what weakness is and what humility is and what recognition that it's all about me and not about you. It's all about me. And so as uh, exactly as Uh, Jesus predicted Peter carries on and comes to that place of denial and absolute brokenness. What do you do when, when you're so secure and your faith is so secure and you can't see it coming and suddenly something hits you from somewhere and you're totally lost and you do things you could never have believed you would have done and you said things you never believed you could have said, but you did them anyway. And now there you are, in pieces, absolutely broken, with no hope. What happens to the damaged goods? First slide, please. Or next slide. There we go. I don't know if you know uh, who these folks are. If you're maybe a wee bit nerdy and you like motorbikes, uh, you, you may be well. This is the uh, junk and disorderly team. We found junk and disorderly during COVID and it is the funniest and also coolest program around if you're nerdy and you like motorbikes. If you don't like either of these, then you're going to hate it, I have to tell you from the beginning. 
What these guys do is they go around the country and they rake on farms and in, into uh, big old uh, barns and stuff like that. And they find motorbikes and tractors that have been damaged, misused, uh, broken, fallen apart. And bit by bit, they restore them. And there is something beautiful about the way in which they take damaged, rusted, broken things with wheels coming off and the engine not working and all of that. And gently and beautifully, they put it all together again. And they restore it to exactly the way it was always intended to be. And bit by bit, because of their expertise and the kind of knowledge of the, of the engines and the types and the tires and all of that, they kind of hunt around and they clean them up and they spend hours and hours on all of this until they kind of bring it back out of the shed again. And there it is. Something wonderfully restored. And when I kind of watch it, apart from laughing at it, I, I, I think about how you and I, Damaged, rusted of spirit, broken of heart, lack of confidence, not knowing. And Jesus comes along. And in the most amazing acts of, of selfless grace and beauty, he begins to clean up the tires of our lives and put the engine back together and clear the rust until we're back to exactly how the creator intended us to be. It is beautiful restoration. And that's what we see Jesus doing with Peter. Beautiful restoration. And I want to quite quickly go through the whole of the conversation between uh, Peter and Jesus that show exactly the way in which Jesus rebuilds a shattered heart that is really, really given up. And I want to say to you, Hear what the Spirit has to say to you about restoration. So again, I want to try and picture uh, for you, and close your eyes if you want. Uh, I don't normally like to say that because it gives chance for people to fall asleep. But close your eyes and try and picture this whole story, and I'll be stopping in bits and pieces of it to try and explain the text. But I want you to see how wonderfully Jesus uses pictures, illustrations, ideas that Peter already knew to bring him back to the point of commitment. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So there were seven of the eleven. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out onto the boat. What do you do when all, all your hopes and ideas and dreams that you had going forward are suddenly snatched? Where, where do you go when, when uh, suddenly you've got nothing to plan on and pin on and, and all the things you spent three years about, you, you, you've, you've got nothing left? What do you do? You go back to what you know. You go back to what you know. Simon knows 
fishing. And so he goes back fishing. And Simon, being a kind of natural leader, everybody else decides to go with him. I, all right, if there's nothing else to do, we'll all just come with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. Maybe there was a haze, maybe there was a low sun, maybe they just didn't recognize him. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said to them, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. You remember when Peter first grew in faith? You remember the time when they went out and they put the nets in the, in the boat and there was no fish? And what did Jesus say to them? Put your nets on the other side of the boat. And they put their nets out and they brought in fish. Jesus is using a reminder even in the language to Peter. Remember back, Peter. Remember back. Remember when you first knew me. Remember what you saw me do. Remember that moment when you recognized in your own boat long, long time ago when I told you that you would become a fisherman, a fisher of people. And so he tells them, and then they say, when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large numbers of fish. Remember the abundant grace of Jesus that Peter had seen over and over and over again. It's as if Jesus is playing and replaying in Peter's mind that sense of Jesus' provision for Peter. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, that's John that said that, um, it's the Lord. As soon as Peter uh, heard him say it's the Lord, he wraps his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. I'm not sure how the disciples feel about this. They can hardly haul the, the uh, nets inward or there's so many fish in it. They're all kind of pulling together to try and drag it forward. What does Simon Peter do? He's out of the boat. He leaves them to it. The rest of them have got to work even harder to try and get the net in. Um, that's just an aside, but I think it's kind of funny that they're kind of left because, uh, because Peter recognizes that he has to get to Jesus. Even in his brokenness and his despair and his sense of failure, the one thing he does know is he has to get to Jesus. And I wonder if you feel like that this morning in, in your kind of brokenness and in your despair and where you are in life. You may not know anything except this one thing. You've got to get to Jesus. You have got to get to Jesus. The only hope that you've got, the only way of turning your life around, the only way of overcoming the difficulties you're facing at the moment, you have got to get to Jesus. And so he gets out of the boat. And he runs towards him. The other disciples followed in the boat, pulling the net full of fish. They went far away from the shore. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Next slide, please. 
it's all about burning coals, isn't it? If you know the story of Peter, you know that it was as people gathered round the fire after Jesus had been taken that the questions are asked of him. Did you know him? No, I never knew him. Didn't know who he was. It was round the fire, round the coals that Peter denied. And now the first thing he sees as he gets onto the beach is the coals, the fire. I wonder what he thought in that moment. I wonder if his mind went back, I'm pretty sure it did, to that moment when he had an opportunity to speak up and to to put his life on the line. He couldn't do it. And he turned away and then he sees Jesus again and he sees him round the coals. Jesus using the imagery and planting it in patience and perfectly to bring Peter to a state of knowing and, and being reminded and seeing how far he had fallen and what it was like. There's no hiding from this. You can't be restored if, if you don't recognize that you've fallen. You can't be remade beautiful if you don't recognize that parts of your spirit has become ugly and damaged. And there he is at this coal fire in this fish barbecue with Jesus speaking to him, asking him. I wonder what that conversation must have been like as the eight of them gathered together around the coals and spoke. And then after the food has gone, Jesus, next slide please, Jesus takes Peter away from the crowd to this one-to-one conversation. It's really interesting uh, that, that John wants to follow at a distance. I can't make up my mind whether John's a wee bit nosy or just thinks something might happen and he wants to kind of be part of it. You know, I can't make up my mind, but it tells you that, that uh, John comes at a little distance. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? What are the more than these? Is it the people? Is it the fishing and the life? Is it the thoughts that you had? Do you love me more than everything? More than everything. More than your community. More than your life. More than the work that you've invested in. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. One. Again, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, take care of my sheep. Two. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Three. Do you know him? I don't know him. I've never met him. Stab in the heart. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
healing. Did you know him? I never knew him. I'm not part of that. Stab in the heart. Do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Healing. Were you not part of his group? Were you not with him? Were you not one of his followers? I didn't know him. Get away from me. Stab in the heart. Do you love me more than these? Lord, you know that I love you. Restoration. Bit by bit, a heart put together in the gentleness and grace of God. Some people make a play because the words in Greek that Jesus and Peter uh, use are different, filio and agape. But actually, uh, I think they both mean the same things. I think you can overread sometimes into the, into the text. But just for those of you who, who thought I should mention it, I thought I would mention it, but I don't think it means anything. I think it's simply Jesus drawing out from Peter. That three times, three times you denied me. Three times I've given you the chance to be restored all over again. This is dealt with, Peter. This is over. This is gone. Didn't matter how bad you thought it was. Didn't matter how difficult and broken you feel you are. I can lift you. I can heal you. I can restore you. Together we will go forward again. Last slide, please. Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. Tradition has it that Peter was crucified upside down and, and, uh, as one of the lead disciples of the early church. Then he said to him, follow me, follow me. Restoration always involves commission with Jesus. He doesn't restore you so that you can kind of put your feet back on some sort of jet to holiday or cruise or that and say, hey, hey, I'm restored. Me and Jesus, we're back like that again. Uh, this is great. Uh, I'm just going to be at the sidelines for a wee while and say, see what happens. Absolute rubbish. You don't get that in the New Testament. You're restored for commission. You're restored for love. And the way you love Jesus is you follow Jesus leading. You serve his ministry. You point others to him. It's a journey of love together. And that's what Peter really needed to know. That's why Jesus said to him three times, feed my sheep. Well, ultimately, here's the thing. Who feeds the sheep? The great shepherd feeds the sheep. Jesus feeds the sheep. And Peter has been invited into Jesus' ministry, not to create his own ministry. 
I get really tired of people who talk about their ministry all the time. You know, this is what God's called me to do. This is what God's called me to do. All that kind of nonsense. Here's what God's called you to do. He's invited you to get in step with what he's doing. What he's doing. The ministry is Jesus' ministry. And Jesus says to Peter, I want you, Peter, to come and be part of what I'm doing. I feed the sheep, therefore you will feed the sheep. You're part of what I'm doing. And so all of us, doesn't matter what gifts, doesn't matter what background, doesn't matter what intellect, doesn't matter how cool you are, what matters is, are you open to the ministry of Jesus? Are you doing what Jesus is doing? Are you listening to what Jesus is calling you to do? Are you stepping out thinking, you know, Jesus, I can't do it. The best level of faith is when you get to the point where you think, I can't do this. Because when you get to the point, I can't do this, you get to the point where you say, only you can do this, Jesus. Only you can do this. What's the difference? The difference between both, I guess, are... uh, Natural religion or supernatural faith. Natural religion, everybody can do. Supernatural faith, Jesus does. And people get in step with it. Oh, that Scotland would be saved from natural religion. Where 100% of what we do is church, we can do without the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is calling Peter to actually trust and step out into things he's got no idea how to do. But Jesus does. Jesus does. Is there things in your life at the moment you say, I have no idea how to do this. I don't know where I'm going. I've got no sense of how this actually fits together. But here I am. And Jesus, I know you do. I know you do. How do you see your family come to faith? You have no idea, but Jesus does. How do you see Scotland transformed? You have no idea, but Jesus in a word can do it. How do you see all broken hearts mended? You have not got a clue, but Jesus does. And Jesus invites us into a partnership of grace and say, you come. And you allow me to feed the sheep and you get behind me and do it. And then very lastly, I want to finish with, uh, with this because uh, I love this. Right at the start, way back in um, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus comes to Peter and says to him, follow me, follow me. And then the next three years, Peter sometimes gets insights where, where nobody else gets them. They're direct insights from, from God, and he, he feels like he's a kind of champion. He's a winner. Ho, ho. He gets a, applause from Jesus. Okay, say, only you've seen this. This has been revealed to you. The next minute, he's saying, let's build three tents and keep everybody up here. And, and Jesus, I think, looks at him and thinks, what? What? Peter's had huge highs and terrible lows. Peter's taken risks. He's left home. He's left family. He's done all sorts of things. And he's had disasters. Absolute disasters. 
I think he's had times where his passion was absolutely at a high, where he's seen the miracles, and he's been on the mountaintops, and he's seen people raised to life. And he's walked on water. And he's also the person who nearly drowned as well. And had the lowest of all. And at the end of that three years and all of that, (laughs) that excitement and now that brokenness, these are the words that Jesus says to him. You, Peter, follow me. Follow me. It's about journey, Peter, as it was from the start. It's about relationship. It's about the one who called you. It's about your identity in me. It's about the times when I shake my head and look at you and think, what are you thinking about? It's the times when my heart swells with pride because you really, really get it. But you just keep following me. You just keep following me. And the closer you get to following the more in step you will stay. How close are you to following? I want you to try for a second and just remember the first time you actually met Jesus. The first time the words, follow me, came into your ears. The first time you recognized the presence, the saving grace of Jesus Christ as Lord. Can you remember what your heart felt like? Remember what it felt like to be forgiven, to be released, to be saved, to have hope? Can you remember what your heart was like at that point? Let me ask you now, what is your heart like now? What is your heart like? Do you need to hear afresh the commissioning words of Jesus? Follow me. Follow me. You are restored. You are forgiven. Now follow. Get back on the path. Now follow. Stay close, move on, keep going. Have you basically stopped and Jesus is still walking? (laughs) And while he was really close to you, now he's kind of in a distance. You need kind of binoculars to see where he's going now. Because you've gone so far behind it. Isn't it the most amazing, humbling thing? But Jesus does not say, Peter, you're done. You're over. You're finished. I can raise somebody else up that will do better than you did in a minute, Peter. Our relationship is done. You've had chance after chance after chance, and you've blown it and then blown it and blown it, and you're finished. We're gone. I'm raising up new people, and you're not part of it. How amazing grace is. But Jesus walks on a beach and walks him through his pain and walks him through his sorrow and draws him back to the place of renewal and then says to him, follow me. Just follow me. 
Will you stand with me? I just invite the band to come back up. Thank you. Can we just pray? Let's, let's bow our heads. I really believe that, that God is speaking to some of us. That we needed to hear that recommissioning, that restoration afresh. That we know we're not where we were. We know where our hearts are. And nobody else does. But Jesus does. And as we've been uh, listening, we know that Jesus has been prompting our spirits to say, this is about you and me. So just with every head bowed, I'm going to pray just up the front. We're not going to ask people to come out or anything like that just now. But if that is you and God's speaking to you, could you just really quickly put your hand up just so I can see that I'm praying for some people? Wow, thank you. So we're just going to wait upon the Lord for a minute. Just in your own silence, in your own quiet time, just, just ask God, you need his restoration. You need to hear afresh the words, follow me. Lord, none of us are perfect. <laughs> and under pressure, we all make mistakes. Do the wrong things, say the wrong things. And sometimes our choices have been those that look as though we are in denial of you. We've all gone through the moments, the times, the wildernesses, even the brokenness of denial. But your grace is sufficient for us. And you gently whisper words of life and hope over us. And you remind us that failure is not the end with you. You didn't wait until we were perfect before you loved us. You loved us because you chose to love us and you still do. Here in your spirit. God is for you. God is for you. And Jesus loves you. And he comes alongside us and, and he says to us, follow me. You follow me. And our hearts say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We will follow you. Lord, for those of us, and, and we know that our hearts are not on fire as they once were. We can kid lots of people, but we can't kid ourselves, and we can't kid you. And so we ask again, God, reignite the fire. Holy Spirit, will you fall and reignite the fire? 
We want to be in that place of faith and victory. So we ask, Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you come?